Well, welcome back, guys. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Baby Got Stacks podcast. Baby once, Got Stacks. Once again, I'm Ashley. I'm Mel. This week's book was a doozy. Yeah. We have a little bit of a, a nonfiction coming at you. We have true crime. Which we love. We know the controversy around uh, in taking true crime, but it won't stop us. No, I <laughs> I mean, you and I love watching true crime documentaries. Can't stop, won't stop. That's one of our favorite things to do in our pastimes. So, mm-hmm. re- I mean, this was my first Anne Rule book. I've read Anne Rule. I read a couple of her books a long time ago. Um, so I don't know which one it is. But I own several of her books. You do own quite a few. Uh, Anne Rule is probably best known for her book titled The Stranger Beside Me. That one is about Ted Bundy. She had previously worked with him and was friends with him at the time. And I think that kind of jump-started her true crime writing. She also was an officer. I don't know if she was a detective, though. Well, I can look it up in the back of the book. (laughs) She was a Seattle police officer. Okay. So, yeah. Oh, she passed away in 2015. I yeah. did not realize that. Oh, yeah. Huh. She's no longer with us. But I didn't realize, and we made a comment about this before we started recording, that I thought this book was written a lot sooner than it actually was. I mean, this looks... The book yeah, that we have... Yeah, it must have been... This is a reprint, obviously. It looks very modern. Yeah, because this was <laughs> written in 88. 1984. Well, 84, and then I think it was re redone in 88. Oh, then like a edition 2 or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there we go. Because in in the back... Oh, yeah, they have... Their mass market edition was in 1984. Yeah, because there's an update in the very, very and back, and repassed. it's 1988. So... Um, How do you like it's 1988? Oh, we're reading the I-5 Killer. I don't know if we said the title of the specific we book we are doing. Surprise! <laughs> We saw this book at the Salem Book Bin in their true crime section, and it was on, what was it, the end cap. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just out there, the I-5 Killer. We live very close to I-5, and I was like, oh, cool. That'd be fun to read. We know that interstate. And if you don't, it's basically from Canada down to Mexico along the West Coast, going through Washington, Oregon, and California. I didn't realize exactly how close to home this book was. Neither did I. I I figured it'd be more California crimes because bigger state, yeah. bigger chance of crimes. But yeah. no, this he did do crimes in Washington and in California, but he lived damn close to where we are. And he did crimes in the towns um, that <laughs> we've grown up in, that we've lived in. It's pretty crazy to to read about being like you said, so close to home. I really didn't realize. There's some places that they say he's robbed and those places are still standing. They're still there. We could go to them, but I mean, it's sure as hell changed by since the 80s, but yeah, it's just a strange uh, knowing he was there. I think that's honestly what made it more interesting to me. I mean, that it was yeah. closer to home. Mm-hmm. I mean, I personally loved the way this was written. Yeah. But I think it, it just made it more interesting to read. It, yeah, it makes it more real, for sure, because yeah. you can exactly picture where he was. And oh, yeah. Her writing style is very straight to the point without being boring or bland, and it's matter of fact, she doesn't really insert her opinion, so you really just get... It almost, facts. to me, felt like we were in his mind. Yeah. 
which I loved. Mm-hmm. It was creepy. A little creepy. 110%. So, the I-5 killer. What is his name? Well, do we want to read? We could read the back of the book. Oh, you can read the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Randall Woodfield is, is his um, name. Randall. Randall Brent Woodfield, yeah. to be exact. I, I have a enor- like, huge, I wanted to say huge and enormous, and I put them together. Put them together. Okay. Um... <laughs> timeline of of his life which we'll get into but randall woodfield had it all he was an award-winning student and star athlete he was drafted by the green bay packers to play in the nfl and was chosen by playgirl as a centerfold candidate working in the swinging west coast bar scene he had his pick of willing sexual prospects just saying that is so gross But Randall Woodfield wanted more than just sex. An appetite for unspeakable violent acts led him to cruise the I-5 highway through California, Oregon, and Washington, leaving a trail of victims along the way. As the list of his victims grew to a total of at least 44, the police faced the immense challenge of catching and convicting a suspect who seemed too handsome and too appealing to have committed such ugly crimes. Crimes that filled every woman within his striking range with fear and horror. (sighs) Crazy so crazy and this starts with a little prologue mm-hmm. uh kind of gets you in his mindset which is disturbing um yeah and kind of the first crimes he committed yeah so i don't know if we want to go through that or if we want to do like by timeline we'll definitely do timeline there's a lot in here he did a lot of awful things yeah um there's pictures there are pictures in this book with crime scene photos him him in jail um the lineup anyway yeah so we'll go through your timeline thing goodness you wrote that because i I was so just in i went i went above and beyond writing this timeline and i'm gonna be honest i wrote it this morning but i (laughs) took me over an hour to write it so here we go for the Long for the crazy ride. Okay. Randall Brent Woodfield was born on December 26, 1950 in Salem, Oregon to Donna and Jack Woodfield. He had two older sisters, which I did not write their names down. I do not remember their names. I, yeah. But basically his, I guess, like, anger of women yeah. kind of started stemming from his childhood with his two sisters because his two older sisters were able to get away with a lot of things, as he says, mm-hmm. um, which made him pretty angry that women could just get away with anything and he couldn't, which yeah. is ridiculous. All that was happening was, like, they had, like, a later bedtime where they could yeah. go out places by themselves. Because they and were the mom, older. Yeah, and the mom would be like, well, it's because they're older. And he's like, that's a dumb excuse. Yeah. So, according to his family and the people that grew up with him when he was younger, he was the golden child, could do no wrong, all that good stuff. Um, they moved a couple of times. They lived in Salem for a year. Um, they lived in Corvallis. Um, for a couple years, and then ultimately moved to Otter Rock, Oregon, um, which is where they stayed. Um, he started exposing himself in high school while he went to Newport High School, um, but he was never punished for it at all. Never was which, on his he record. He was a star athlete, mm-hmm. and Newport isn't that big. No. And it's not like he was wearing a mask or anything, so people... People knew him. It was him and knew who he was. And how did nothing come about that? Just Yeah, he he basically was the boy next door is ultimately what I would call him. Mm. Yeah, gross. So he graduated 
from Newport High School, um, and then he worked for Pacific Northwest Bell, which I I believe is in Newport. Um, and then in the fall of 69, he enrolled in Treasure Valley Community College, which was in Ontario, Oregon. Ontario, Oregon is where he found Sharon McNeil. That was his, I don't want to say first girlfriend, but that's definitely the first girlfriend we hear of. Like, uh, yeah, like first real relationship, Yeah, I guess. Um, after the breakup, her room was trashed and the only thing stolen was a teddy bear that Randy had given her. Which, come on, it's, Randy. He makes really dumb choices, which I, I mean, all of this is not a good choice, but like. <laughs> yeah, murder is not the best choice. not the option to go with, gents. but just to trash it. Yeah. Yeah. For so a teddy bear. He was arrested. Mm-hmm. But they had no proof, which is ridiculous. I guess it's all circumstantial, but but yeah, so but he, he definitely did it. So it was oh, 110. <laughs> but it it was not put on his record. He's like um, whatever, like a bitch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's the ultimate bitch. So then, after Treasure Valley, he transferred to Mount Hood Community College. They didn't say in the book why he stopped going there. Um, he just. He went home during the summers, and then he met Tracy Connors, which now, oh. think about the timeline. Mm-hmm. He's in college. Mm-hmm. I want to say he's 20 at this point. Something like that. And he meets Tracy Connors um, at a football game at Newport High School. Because he, he goes by high school. She was an eighth grader. But, but let's just... It was in. mentioned he has a preference for younger yeah. women. Yep, that's I like, yeah. No. 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 Um, so the spring of 71, he registers for classes at Portland State because he wanted to go pro in football. Um, football was a huge thing in his life, um, so he really wanted to go big. And he majored in health and physical education there. Terrible boys go there. You're not wrong. I have two examples. <laughs> and we're not going to name them, but we know who they are, and that's all that matters. Okay, I'm gonna have to ask <laughs> off air because I only know one of them and Oh. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> got it. I pointed in two different directions and she understood. <laughs> I got it. So when he went to Portland State, he started to get really into religion. He started only dating Christian girls. Oh my god. Quoting the Bible, reading yeah. the Bible. And at one point his dad got like really concerned too. Yeah, I did like some of the quotes the dad said. Um, it's gonna take me a hot minute to ever find those, but it was just weird. Yeah, he it is so weird. Like out of nowhere, yeah, he, he tried to find God. It's very strange, and he kind of goes back on God a couple of times. A couple of times. Um, yeah, I don't. It just was kind of like out of the blue, especially for yeah. his family, because like he was never really a big Christian. Yeah, guy they in themselves general. weren't religious, so. It, Truly just... Yeah, so it was nowhere. really it was really confusing on why, like, all of a sudden. It never really talked about, like, what made him. Like, was it a girl? Was it, like, just him in general? Oh, okay. He filled several notebooks with memoranda on religion, and one contained his personal testimony as a born-again Christian. In it, he deplored his constant seeking after three goals in his life. To be successful in school grades... To reach the highest honors I could in my range of athletics and to be popular with all the girls. Dear God, please help me be popular with all the girls. Because that is very uh, Christian of him. Uh, 
I will also like to note as well, um, it's in the book. I don't remember exactly like what page or anything, but um, he did take an IQ test and his IQ test, like his IQ is 100. I, oh, what was it? I forgot if he like maybe so, purposely bombed it or if he actually is. Um, oh, oh, well, I just thought it was 100. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> now, now we start getting into his kind of like first minor arrests i mean obviously this is not uh, minor things but yeah i will say <laughs> compared to murder it's it's minor yeah so his first adult arrest was august 7th of 1972 it was for indecent exposure um he got suspended but he, it was not put on his record and no probation basically just a slap on the wrist eh, so stupid stop, stop like showing. stop showing your dick yeah stop showing it and <laughs> keep it in your pants go on your merry way exactly so then he was arrested on june 22nd 1973 in portland for indecent exposure resisting an officer attempting to elude arrest i, I thought there was more there was not <laughs> i like to think that like, his dick was still out as he's trying to evade officers. I hope it was. Just, like, running <laughs> his pants, like, around his knees. I really hope it was. Uh, he was sentenced to five months and 25 days in jail and one year probation. Uh, did not serve any of it. Anything. Any of it. He was promised that he would go to counseling as well. Didn't do he it. He always promised he'd go see a counselor. I'm so sorry. I'm going to go change my ways. I know it's wrong. Yeah. Um, February 22nd, 1974, he was arrested again for public decency. He was Indecency. That's what I meant. <laughs> public decency. <laughs> you look fine. <laughs> you look great. <laughs> he wishes. Um, five years, he was put five years probation and counseling, but no one forced him. No one was keeping track of him no. at all. Which is baffling to me. I don't understand that. So, then... He gets drafted by the Green Bay Packers, which is heartbreaking to me because I am a huge Green Bay Packers fan. Well, and he didn't get, like, on the official team. No. He was brought in. He was brought in as a traveling squad. He signed the contract February 20th, 1974, and then was cut from the traveling squad. And then was on the, like, one level lower than the Green Bay Packers. Um, so he's- Yeah, like, they're... Um- Oh, I forgot. It's I not their, like, NFL team. I forgot what they were called. They have a different name completely. Yeah. Um, which is, like I said, sad that the Green Bay Packers would even look at him because, well, that's my team and, dear God, don't even look his direction. So, um, after he was done with Green Bay in Wisconsin, um, he moved back to the Portland area. March 5th, 1975, he was arrested for holding a parry knife to the throat of a woman um, who, ha was a decoy and she was a police officer. Literally. Tried to rob her in a park. Um, there was incidences before then that someone was trying to rob people in the park with a knife uh, so they, they used her as a decoy and lo and behold, they got him. He was then, I didn't write what happened to him dur- like during that. I don't remember how much Oh, well, I guess, okay, never mind. <laughs> I wasn't paying it's attention. It's in your next line it, that it, you wrote. That, that's, <laughs> yeah, got, got that. Uh, June 10th, 1975, he was sentenced to 10 years in the Oregon State Penitentiary for armed robbery for this incident. Incident. There we go. In the dance. 
Yeah. Then he was paroled in July of 79. So he was there for four years? Yeah. Almost, yeah. Four years. Ridiculous. So then this is when we get started with the I-5 killer incidents because... Um, yeah, they hadn't... He hadn't done that yet. The term is not a thing yet. Correct. This is just him being weird. So then um, the very first incident was in Vancouver, Washington at 5.20 p.m. on December 9th, 1980. He robbed the Eddie's Arco there. He didn't do anything other than rob them. Um, He had a gun, but he didn't like sexually assault them. He didn't do anything. He literally told the girl to look at the TV, which was the surveillance camera. Yeah. (laughs) Which wasn't working. Which, yeah. Of course. And he didn't even do anything to the survey. It just happened that the surveillance camera yeah, wasn't working. Exactly. <laughs> uh, December. So the dates are pretty important. Um, just because oh of how God, close yeah. they are. So December 9th was the first incident. Um, December 13th in Eugene, Oregon, which is a couple of hours away. Like four hours. It's, yeah. Uh, da, da, da. He robbed the Baskin Robbins. And he started using a Band-Aid on his nose. Mm-hmm. This is when we first kind of get a glimpse of his... He would fake a beard, put the Band-Aid on his yes. nose. Yes, he had a buddy from prison yeah, that he was it. talking to. I think his name was Ralph. Yeah, it was Ralph because I kept seeing Brandy and Ralph and getting... I had to, like, go back and, like, really focus on who they were talking about. <laughs> but Ralph told him, like, oh, if you put a Band-Aid on your nose, it covers your nose. They'll never be able to figure out who you are. And then That's the stupidest uh, thing I've the, ever the heard. The fake beard life. was all Randy. He he came up with that genius idea. <laughs> <laughs> all Randy. Uh, so then December fourteenth, he robbed an Arctic Circle in Albany. No longer there. I'm sad about it. You know, I was reading that. And I was like, I don't remember there the being the nearest Arctic Circle now is just Newport, mm-hmm. which he probably also has been to. He probably has been there as well. Yeah. December twenty first, he robbed in, in northern Seattle at Church's Fried Chicken. So this was the first sexual act that was at least recorded that they are aware of. Yeah. So it was against Kim Nihon. I'm going to butcher all these names. I'm I know. Right now. It's look up a list of his victims online so you know their names and forget this bastards. But yeah, yeah, there's a few victims. So he, yeah, I, we aren't going to go into detail because um, that would just be very triggering. I will it's very let you know. graphic. Trigger warning on huge oh, sexual yeah. assault. Um, even in the prologue, he does some things to an 8 and 11 year old girl. That was honestly very hard for me to read um, in Corvallis. But we'll get into that because I, I'm, yeah. I'm not, yeah, I wrote in it. Okay. The specific cases are detailed in the book. But... Yeah. In early January, he robbed the same Argo that he robbed back in December of 1980. So he went back and same the he robbed the same arco ballsy ballsy i mean he's very confident and cocky about himself oh 110 percent yeah he did touch the woman there she was not the same person that worked there when he robbed it in december first time yeah. yeah january 11th grocery cart market he robbed in eugene january 12th sutherland oregon he robbed central market and he accidentally shot Susie. Bennett in the shoulder. And and I'm saying accident because I think he was struggling with her. She 
was trying to say no. Yeah, in the struggle, I think the, the gun trigger went, was pulled. Yeah, the gun went off. And luckily, the bullet went clean through her shoulder. Yeah, it, it, like, just barely missed her lungs or something. Yeah. Uh, also, with these robbery, robberies, it was mentioned that sometimes he'd get a few hundred dollars. Sometimes it was, like, 20 same with robbing the people at by knife point in the parks in Portland. Yeah. Some of them he'd get change. a little more and some of them not. I think one of his excuses was I just needed money for robbing in the park. But they're like it totaled up to like 17 something. Like he obviously wasn't it, doing it for money. Cause... It was barely anything. Yeah. January 14th he sexually assaulted the 8 and 11 year old girls in Corvallis, he just walked into their home and sexually assaulted them in the bathroom. Didn't even... Although the girl realized because he asked where the mom was and she just said that the mom was out, which obviously you don't do that. But in the heat of the moment, you're not thinking. They shouldn't even have opened the door, but you're little girls. So then we get into January 18th, 1981. This one was... A big one. This is what opened the book. Very couple, first couple of chapters. Yeah. January 18th, 1981, Beth Wilmot and Sherry Hole were shot in Transamerica Title Building, which is in Salem, Oregon. Um, Sherry did not make it. She was shot three times and Beth was shot twice. So we learned that Beth survives. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she's still alive. To, to, I would assume so. Anyways. Yeah. But we find out that she was shot twice in the head and survived. She actually walked into the bathroom and looked at herself. She was walking around. Everyone was very surprised of how, like, aware she was of yeah. her surroundings. Because she managed to get up, look in the mirror, call the police, like, give descriptions, tell them where they were. And so that's what allowed the police to come and kind of start surveying the crime scene. And it was this case that was the start of connecting all of Mm-hmm. these crimes and there was quite a few crimes yeah so this one also started him murdering so he you can kind of see the progression of yeah. him indecent exposure to then robbing people by knife point to then robbing people by gun mm-hmm. sexually assaulting them as well mm-hmm. then to murder i mean you yeah. can clearly see him just escalating the crimes yeah and he had been caught before mm-hmm. and never had to serve a full sentence yeah so it's like why was it taken so lightly mm-hmm. he was just a, a young man with his life ahead of him and i think that's what different people just like let him go for yeah since, especially since he was promising he'd get help yeah which i mean they were idiots for believing him uh, so then february 3rd in shasta county california donna lee and her daughter janelle were shot and killed this one was really hard to read because the husband and the dad is on the fire department and yeah. he got the call that there was an emergency mm-hmm. at his his house which yeah which was really hard yeah. And that's that's my timeline ends. Now I have the the now, but we'll get to that yeah. at the end. And so it shows it follows the different detectives and the different counties All coming written. together yeah. trying to piece the pieces together to find out who exactly it was because he's not in any system mm-hmm. of theirs because mm-hmm. he was never actually registered as a sex offender. Well, and also in the 80s, DNA wasn't very prevalent. 
I yeah. mean, they had some samples of his semen and blood and stuff, but... Yeah, and they managed to find out what blood type it was probably mm-hmm. and some hair pieces, but they did the best they could with what they had in the 80s. Yeah, I also want to note, so they really go into detail on the team that, I don't want to say goes against him, but, like, I didn't realize that um, Dick Van Dyke's son... Yes! Is a very very he, big part. He's in a this. big political guy. What what it, what was he at the time? He I believe was the district attorney. The district attorney in Marion Oregon. County district yeah. attorney. Uh, he was only twenty nine years old, and he had yet to prosecute a murder case. And I thought it was crazy that Chris Van Dyke. I know. I was like, Chris Van Dyke? The only one I know is Dick Van Dyke. And then mm-hmm. it went on and was like, oh yeah, son of Dick Van Dyke. I'm like, wow. It, it was just a lot of weird things in this book that like connected with us like mm-hmm. in Oregon. Mm-hmm. He went to Ontario. We just went to Ontario. So I, I also have a, a sticky note as well to remind <laughs> myself. He worked at one of his jobs at the Fawcett Tavern which I personally don't know if it's still around. I, I did not do my research there. But it's on Southwest Beaverton Hills Day Highway in Beaverton, Oregon, which is the road that I worked on at mm-hmm. a vet clinic up in Beaverton. Wild. Which is crazy to me. He also finds and meets Dixie Pollenter. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Which she pissed me off, but we'll oh, get to that at some point. Um, but around that time as well, he kept sending photos of himself Ugh. to girls um and and one of i i believe one of them sent it to playgirl which is then he was gonna be on playgirl but he never they didn't select him but shocking he worked as a bartender kind of bounced around different Mm -hmm. bars because he kept getting fired Mm -hmm. but he'd meet girls get Mm -hmm. their numbers or not get their numbers and he'd find out what their numbers and addresses were and he'd always call he'd always send them letters and pictures and love notes and big letter guy still big handwritten snail mail yeah and he it was so intense how much he'd send and keep track of all of these women it was multiple women at one time like on a Valentine's Day, he sent several women, like, we should go out to dinner, we should go out to dinner. And Flowers. It was like, I forgot what it said, but it was like, he needed to keep his options open just in case or something. It but baffled me. None of the other women knew about each other. Yeah, so I also want to make note, too, because this is going to be another... So there, there were a couple of murders that never were solved. Mm-hmm. Now, probably he did it because he knew them. Yeah. But one of the girls that he meets around the time that he lived or worked in in Beaverton, where I used to live, was a 17-year-old girl named Julie Rutz, which she later gets murdered. Uh, But he meets her. He was living with a girl named Lucy Grant, but was not sleeping with her. She was also, like, 17 or 18, which I'm... I don't know how this, yeah. How he, I mean, I I get it. They were like pretty naive then, but it it just kind of baffled me. We do hear some girls that he he didn't know. So Tim Rossi was one of his best friends and former roommate. Tim was dating a girl named Darcy Fix. I believe they were dating for quite a while. And then Tim had told Randy that him and Darcy had broken up. And then Darcy was with another boyfriend named Doug. Uh, and come to find out on Thanksgiving Day, their bodies were found in Darcy's apartment. So Darcy and Doug had both been shot execution style. Mm-hmm. 
A lot of his murders are done with the person face down on the ground execution style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with the gun so close to their head that like they were black, um, which is horrific. Then, (laughs) then we find out about Shelly Jansen, and Shelly Jansen is quite the gal. (laughs) I'll tell you what, I don't know if it said how old she was should have figured that out oh well I don't know. oh she's 22 okay we go. okay so she meets randy at a bar in eugene uh, she was scouting out a bar with her friend mm-hmm. for a party for new year's she falls madly in love with randy and i mean head over heels throw my life away falls in love with him they had both gone out of a relationship they both weren't expecting anything but they had so much in common i literally was rolling my eyes the entire time i was reading it it was bad it was really bad it was bad she basically gives up college and everything and wants to move with him which is so funny because as she's moving up here to start her life with him he gets arrested for murder which I think is the funniest thing ever. And she's clueless to it all. Oh, 100% clueless. Probably to this day, she thinks he's innocent. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to find a quote about Shelly. Like, yeah. They wrote letters back and forth. She had her dad living in... Oh, the- Ashland? Yes. It's yes. Ashland. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but, I mean, during this time that he was supposedly with her, according to her, he had proposed. <laughs> and then he told his sister that he wasn't didn't like he didn't propose to her which i think is hilarious yeah you didn't mention anything about a proposal but also with her he's still out there sending letters to women he also while on a highway he like follow girls and like try to get them to pull over and yeah. some of them did yeah which is what that works what's going on in the 80s guys what 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 is going on and yeah. he like aggressively follows oh 110 percent yeah um, I did make a note, one of the girls... Now, we're not ever saying that it was the the girl's fault. No. no 110%, no, 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 no. that is not what we are saying. But, like, I would never... Uh, like I said... And it, granted that they never had to worry back in the 80s. It's because correct. things happened in the 80s that we are now... Correct. ...like this. <laughs> I, did, I did make a note, um, one of the girls was... Batman. You know, I don't... Oh, was it... Lisa Morris, uh, one of the girls in California, she, he basically sexually assaulted her, made her pull over, sexually assaulted her, and then left mm-hmm. her naked. Yeah. So that was one. Uh, but one thing was that was gross to me was he basically wanted her to perform oral on her, on him. She refused. And then he had the audacity to ask her, I'm bigger than your boyfriend, aren't I? Which I think is... I mean, it clearly shows his character. Yeah. Uh, 100%. He just con- needed consistent validation. And I have a quote here mm-hmm. where, um, although he complained that women had done him wrong, it did not occur to him that he had been far from a constant lover. In his mind, the fault always fell on the female's shoulders. So no matter what, he's always like, why do women leave me? Like, they all, like, are so dumb and just go and... Never have, like, can see that I'm, they should stay. Oh, it was, ugh. Ugh. I know. The, this book made me, 
have my eyes permanently rolled into the back of my head because of the amount of eye rolls I was Man. doing. Then after all of this, we then find out about Arden Bates. She's a 29-year-old divorcee that had a six-year-old son named Mickey. She had put an ad out in the paper looking for a roommate and, of course, he found it. He, although never tried to harass her, sexually it's, or it's thought because she might have been too old for him and so it yeah, wasn't like 29 his preference she is old but yeah nothing ever happened between them but she'd always know oh he's up really late like does he have someone over like oh he kind of acts weird and like yeah he had a lot of he had a lot of women over yeah that were kind of younger but she like kind of just turned a blind eye and was and like she whatever was, like not admitting to herself that she was suspicious <laughs> But yeah. she's like, yeah, it's none of my business. So then Valentine's Day, it, it was insane. He was throwing a party on Valentine's Day, but he was sending flowers and letters. He had like three or four dates, dinner dates that night, just in case one of them fell through, which I'm like, how do you think you're going to have four dinner dates and not one of them finding out about it? And each at other? this point, he's only living off of the robberies. <laughs> The, yes, but people only thought he was getting unemployment because he didn't have a job. And so Correct. people were like, well, no one really thought twice. It was just like, oh, wow, look at these expensive flowers he's sending me. Yeah, I, whatever. He's an idiot. So then on Valentine's Day 1981, the Dave Bishop, which is um, one of the police officers, receive a call that they have a dead body. Um, it was Julie Retz. She was found on her stairway naked. They think that she was running away from her assailant. There's no signs of struggle. Uh, it looked like he had just been behind her and stopped her from from running, mm-hmm. uh, which was, was and very sad. It looked sad. like since they were in the home and there was no sign of forced entry, that it must have been someone she knew and trusted. Correct, which is kind of, this is the turning point because they're trying to find who killed her. And now people are talking about, oh, well, I remember this really weird dude. And that was like a round two of questioning. And they're trying to find the missing connections. So they interview Julie's friends and then they interview again. Just be like anything like you might think is insignificant, but just tell Mm -hmm. me like, is Mm -hmm. there anybody that like sticks out in your mind of her knowing? And they're like, yeah, that weird guy drives a gold VW Beetle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually, I, I tabbed, uh, they were questioning one of Julie's close friends. He said, think, could there be any man Julie knew so slightly that you may have forgotten him? Someone who didn't seem appointment or, oh employment. my God. Employment. Important. <laughs> Words are not my strong suit. Uh, we don't speak English. That's very true. And then she said, there was a guy, Randy. He was a lot older than Julie. He worked at the Fawcett Tavern. That was last summer. Julie went out with him maybe once or twice. He came on too strong and she told me that she didn't want to date him again. But then she said they were just going to be friends. And then she remembered the car color. And then they went and talked to the people at the faucet. And then come to find out he stole $3,000 from them. Yeah. (laughs) Which is huge. And that's when it starts spiraling that, oh. This Randy guy. This Randy guy. Look into this Randy guy. Uh Uh-huh. And boy, do they find out a lot about this Randy guy. Oh, boy, do they ever. And that, you just pulled up the picture of all of the sketch drawings that they had mm-hmm. surviving victims detail. Mm-hmm. And they had posted the pictures by the location on a map. And you look at them, they all 
very similar and then you hold up a picture of randy and you're like well yeah and people did mention that like yeah the beard looked fake yeah i think at one point they said it was being held by gum which i'm like yeah you're an idiot yeah but yeah this is when they start getting a fountain of information they start figuring out blood types they start Oh, well, he was here on the weekend of Valentine's Day. Yeah. And then they start questioning him, which doesn't help Randy because then he starts lying at first saying he didn't even know her. Mm-hmm. Then when he was shown a photo of her, he goes, oh, I did know her. Mm-hmm. Then he said that... They I, never slept together. Yeah. And then they had his dad come in and it was just Randy and his dad talking, but obviously they're listening. And then he they're said... never actually We only alone. had sex like twice or something. So like he's calling another lie after another lie and they mm-hmm. search his room with his consent and like mm-hmm. they find weird things they find tape that was used to bind the victims and yep. just just one thing after another he kind of get kept getting caught in something yeah i and he always thought he was doing so well <laughs> i uh tabbed when they had gotten the search warrant mm. to go into the arden home mm-hmm. they obviously told arden and that she and her son Mickey needed to skedaddle. And she was like, oh my god, is he the I-5 killer? I was kind of thinking, but I didn't want to say it out loud, I guess. And oh my god, oh my god. Yeah. And yeah. so she's kind of in a panic. They leave. Also, another big thing is he would call long distance to places that he had robbed and yeah. charge them on her phone line. Yeah, and he just charged the so they bill. literally had, like... Yeah, they are like, can we check your phone bill? And she was like, yeah. And it lists out the exact calls. And it literally just pinpointed exactly where he was. Yeah. Um, but she goes, if he was a killer, I would have known it, wouldn't I? And the, the police officer was like, I don't know. That's what we're trying to find out. Which <laughs> they find out all right. So then they're like you said, they're they're talking to him in in there, mm-hmm. and he says no to a polygraph and no yeah. to hair samples. Which, well, that's just a dead giveaway that yeah, why you're hiding something. Obviously, you're hiding something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So then, I think it's hilarious. Um, Shelly Jansen oh, pulled into Eugene on March sixth. 1981, her U-Haul trailer full of her belongings, ready to move in with Randall. But she couldn't find her fiancé. Yeah, it was like a day or two. He was like, you should just move and bring all your stuff and quit school and come live with me. And she does. And she's like, oh, I can't get a hold of them. I guess I'll just wait at my dad's until he calls me. Yeah. What? (laughs) And then they start asking the women that were involved in all of the robberies, as well as Beth, out of these people, which one looks familiar, and they kept choosing him. Mm -hmm. So then they did a lineup, which I thought was smart the way they did the lineup, because they chose it with, obviously, him. Mm -hmm. But then they also chose police officers. Yeah. Because they could easily get them back if they needed to, which I never would have thought of that. Yeah. Obviously, ones that looked fairly similar, who also kind of fit the curly hair beard and then they had them speak different lines that the victims remember them saying to them which has been so awful but yes i and a lot of them picked him because of the way his eyes looked and the way that his his voice voice was which i was trying to find what they said ah do what i say and you won't get hurt where is the back room? Count to 100 before you move. Don't call the police. Lay down on the floor. Put the money in the bag. Does this feel good? Aren't I big? Yeah. It makes my skin crawl. 
Yeah, and they had gotten more than two dozen of his victims to come through the lineup. They weren't allowed to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. One by mm-hmm. one, they'd go in and then Marka, well, they'd go in, wait, go into a room with a detective. He would give them a paper to circle, circle the number. Mm-hmm. They would circle the number and then he'd ask why. Yeah. They even were able to bring in the 8 and 11 year old girl from Corrales. Oh, she, her name was Mary Sue and my one tab says, yes, Mary Sue. What a smart girl. Because the way she, her mm-hmm. little sister mm-hmm. didn't choose someone, but she said, um, yeah. the voice stood out the most. It just clicked in my head. But I still, I, I mean, they were still treating Randy with respect. I mean, obviously it could yeah. go against them, but I noted they had asked, do you want your leather coat so you can hide your face? And he said, no, it's it's too late. Well, They've I, already seen me now. I think that was kind of a little snide comment because sometimes he'd be wearing a jacket and mm-hmm. it was described as a leather jacket. So I think they were like, maybe he'd say like, I don't have a leather jacket. But like, if he was like, oh, it's okay. Oh, yeah. I think it was just like another true. thing. Well, and I also wanted to slap him because while they were booking Randy in the Marion County Jail, he turned to the two detectives. My only regret is that I didn't have a chance to shave or put on clean clothes before I have to face the news cameras. Fucking mark that too, you fucking bastard. Are you insane? I mean, we get he's insane. He's murdering people. But, like, yeah. come on. And the next night, Randy was a crowd pleaser right to the end. He held his head high and grinned directly into cameras. Yeah, so then we find out that Dixie... 22, which we had talked about earlier. She had met him in the Fawcett Tavern. Dixie was trying to laugh at this man. I know. I was like, what do you think you're going to get away with? And then the police officer was like, well, we could arrest you too because... I'm pretty sure they did. And then she was like, oh, I'll tell the truth now. Yeah, because she was buying him guns and bullets, which I'm like... Literally, and was with him. Yeah. She'd sit in the car while he'd go do his property and sexual assault and then come back. Dixie. It's like, get it together, Dixie. Yeah. Uh, the big thing, though, was that the bullets he was using were very, very rare. Yeah. And they actually found one of the bullets in one of his bags mm-hmm. at the house that matched the bullets that were in the murders in Shasta County, California, as well as the ones in Kaiser, Oregon. So he was an idiot. Yeah. But I did want to note that the silver... 32 gun that he used for a lot of the robberies mm-hmm. would would never be found. I yeah. tried to look it up. I don't think it has been found to this day. No, there were two guns. One's never found. One they possibly. They still can't. I thought the serial numbers Link matched. it. I don't think they had serial numbers. Yeah, because they... it wasn't registered under his name. Because he stole it from somebody. Oh, okay. They, well, yeah, a kid found it in the mud of a river. Mm-hmm. Like, a good, <laughs> such a good kid. Like, carefully kind of brought mm-hmm. it out of the water and then yeah. called the police. Good job. Good job. That is what you do. <laughs> so then on, then we start getting into the trial part. We won't go into too much detail because it really gets into the trial part and it's a lot of mm-hmm. trial talk and <laughs> jargon. Uh, but on March 24th, he pled innocent to two counts of sodomy, two counts of attempted kidnapping, and one count of being an ex-convict in possession of a firearm in Lane County. He never pled guilty to any of his crimes. Like, to this day, he Correct. still says he's innocent. He's also been charged with one count of robbery in the Baskin-Robbins holdup in Bothell, Washington. There were charges of sexual assault at the Dairy Queen in Bellevue, Washington. And he pled innocent to seven felony charges in Benton County, uh, which is where... 
I'm from Benton County. There were two counts of sodomy and one count of burglary. He had sexual assault charges from a fabric store in Corvallis and sodomy and kidnapping charges in a fast food in Corvallis. So they really had to, to play this correctly yeah there were so many counties wanting to charge him with so many things yeah we won't get into too much because it's a lot Mm -hmm. if you read the book it really lays it out for you yeah like really they go into tell you their strategies because so many places wanted him they had to get it correct so they could nail him down in one place because it costs so much money to bring someone to trial Mm -hmm. actually run that trial yeah and if they didn't actually manage to Convict him. Convict him, then that's kind of all out the drain. And then he kind of gets off better for whoever brings him in next. So it begins in, is it Benton? Or is it Marion? It's Marion County. This is when they start. Starts off in Marion. And I just want to say, Judge Brown is my hero. Yeah, he was really good. He is so fantastic. They, They also wanted to note that he was being charged for every single crime. Mm hmm. And not just sodomy or sexual, like in general, because they wanted every victim to be mentioned. Yeah. They didn't want Mm -hmm. it to be lump sum into just one thing. Yeah. Even if it seemed like overkill, they wanted it to be overkill. I mean, he deserved it. Um, I I will note the trial began on Thursday, June 11th, 1981. I don't know how long the the trial went on. I guess I should have figured that out. I just I'm wanted kind to of note when it ends. I just wanted to note when it started. Um, that's when Chris Van Dyke made the opening statement for the prosecution. Monday, October twelfth, nineteen eighty-one. Judge Clark Brown pronounced sentence on Randy Woodfield. So a couple months. Yeah, which isn't bad. Mm-mm. Um, I do want to read. <laughs> A quote from Judge Brown at the sentencing when he finally gets to sentence Randy. Before you say that, though, I also want to know, it only took the jury three and a half hours. And it was unanimous. Yeah. Kudos to them. All right, go for it. Judge Brown's eyes bored into Woodfield. I've made the sentences consecutive because the court has found that you are a menace to society. And the court has the duty to protect the public by the use of consecutive sentences in order to protect the public from further criminal conduct by you. This court is making the strongest possible recommendation to the Oregon State Board of Parole and Probation that you serve a minimum of 50 years before you are able to be considered eligible for release. If the death penalty in Oregon had not been declared unconstitutional, I would have no hesitancy whatsoever to say, Mr. Woodfield, you are going to die. It gives oh, me chills. Oh, wait, like, yes, chills. I love when a judge is just like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and... so he was sentenced <sighs> to, it was very prominent that they mm-hmm. wanted his sentences to run consecutively. That's very noted mm-hmm. in his, like, ending yeah. spiel. Uh, so Randy now faced life plus 165 years in prison consecutively. Yeah, and Judge Brown also said he gave him the maximum sentence and said, if you are released earlier... It will not be because the court has failed in its duty. Yeah. So then um, it it says update 1988 because like we said in the beginning, this was written in 1980 or at least redone. In, yeah. It, it in was basically like published again with the update. <laughs> Correct. So 
A notice of appeal had been filed November 13th, 1981. His appeal was obviously thrown down the drain. Mm -hmm. Then he served seven years of his sentence, and in July 83, the Oregon Supreme Court refused to review his final appeal, which I love that they were like, yeah, no, sir. So then we find out... Which is wild to me. He somehow begins a love affair with Diane Downs. Oh, which, so wild. I'm going to be honest. I don't know her I story. haven't heard of her. So that'd be an interesting thing to look up. Yeah. So basically, Diane Downs, she shot her children on a country road outside Springfield, Oregon, May of 1983. Cheryl Downs, 7, died. And Christy, 8, and Danny, 3, had been left paralyzed uh diane had been wounded which i'm so confused by that like did she shoot herself i'm i don't know so then she shot her own children so that she might win back a married lover who didn't want to be a daddy she was so obsessed with being wanted she didn't care what Mm -hmm. she had to do to get that she Mm -hmm. just needed man in her life. Yeah, so in late spring of 84, Diane was being held in the Lane County Jail, the same jail where Randy himself had been booked when he was arrested three years earlier. He wrote to Diane, who was seven months pregnant after shooting her her children. children. So then they started writing back and forth. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, let's get married. And she... (laughs) And it's so crazy because he's writing letters to a whole bunch of women. Which also, does yeah. he remember these addresses? Or can does he just go up to the male person in jail like, I want to send this to this lady and then they deal with the address? Or does he memorize them? He might, he might be weird like, enough to memorize what? them. Honestly. And then she's also writing a bunch of letters... To men. To other men. Sending ya. pictures. Of... They... Also, who's taking these pictures? I don't... They are the... Excuse me, guard, can you take this picture of me in my underwear? <laughs> they are the spitting image of each other. I mean, it's, oh. it's baffling. So... She's he... definitely more in it than he is. Correct. He has a yeah. game plan. He, oh, he does. So, basically, he gets so her stupid. to fall in love with him and then oh she also sends pictures of herself and her paralyzed children which yeah is how did you baffling what? to me who let so, you have those so then he wrote to an oregonian reporter uh that he was talking to diane downs and trying to basically get the media's attention he's trying to extort it because if he sells a juicy story so then diane downs paid. believes him and goes on to, I want to say... see what it is, where Kate. I, 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 Some media. She basically goes to the media and talks about how they're in love, they're going to get married and all this stuff. And then, and then on, like, I don't want to say national television because it's not like they let him go on there. But yeah. basically it comes out that he was like, why are you telling people this? This isn't true. Yeah. And basically making her think that she is absolutely batshit crazy. Which I think is the funniest thing. And he plays it off, but like, you weren't supposed to tell people. Like, we could have sold this money for so much. You shouldn't have told people. That's why I said I didn't I know think what you hilarious. were talking about. So Diane Down served almost three years of her life sentence at the Oregon Women's Correctional Center in Salem. Which, fun fact, was is right next to where he's serving. Yeah. But then on July 11th, 1987, she escaped 
and then was recaptured and is now imprisoned at the Clinton Correctional Institute for Women in New Jersey. It should be noted that when she did give birth, the baby was immediately taken away Correct, from her yeah. and adopted out. There had been no children in harm's way in the prison. Brandy Woodfield received his associate's degree. Ugh. He glowered at photographers and warned them that he did not want to have his picture taken, which, Ugh. whatever. Um, then it goes on to the detectives and the captains and and where they are now uh, yeah. in their fields of expertise. In the meantime, Woodfield continues his correspondence with women. Hundreds of letters going out with loving promises. And the money comes in. A dollar, two dollars. People He's... give him thousands. Yeah, so I made a note. He had run out of appeals. <laughs> and California could get him on trial for murders of Donna Yeah, Edwards. they still hadn't brought him in. But... They ultimately decided that, you know, he's going to be in life in prison. For, yeah. Uh, like, obviously for the rest of his life. It was a small town. Yeah. It it was going to cost like so half a million money. dollars. And what I liked is, was it the judge or the detective? He had gone to the families of the victims being Correct. like, here's, yeah. we could bring him in. Have You can have your day in court. This is what it's going to cost. And everyone in that town agreed with him. Like, yeah. he's already in life in prison. There's no need. He's not going to get out. Just save the town money. I wanted to... I was trying to find the person... Um, it is noted that Steve Eckerd, which is the, the husband, um, he is still on the fire department. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to find, though, because I thought it was hilarious. People were sending Randy money. Ugh. But one of them was, I want to say, someone's wife. Like, oh. it was someone that should have known better, but I can't think of it. I don't, I don't know. I know his roommate, I forgot her name, something Asher already with Mickey. Mm-hmm. She, like, suddenly took oh, a turn Arden, and was like, oh, Arden, yeah. Suddenly took a turn and was on his side and, like, talking about how good of a person he was and he would never. Yeah, she, like, ran up and hugged him. Mm. Ridiculous. I'm trying to even see where they talked about the letters. Uh... I know. We're we're oh, trying crazy. to, to find things in, in the book. But Beth is now married and has a child. Yeah. And she keeps in touch with Sherry Hill's family and Dave Kormanick, which is the head detective. So on April of 1987, Randy Woodfields filed a $12 million suit against Anne Rule, the author of this book, and federal court dismissed it, <laughs> which I think is great. Also in 83, he was injured by another inmate. They did not say how he was injured, but I just thought that was comical. And then in 2001 and 2006, DNA linked him to two more murders in Oregon. I did not get... Um, all I know is is one of them, well, one case that he hasn't been officially convicted for, they can link it to either him or they think it might be Ted Bundy. It's one of the two. Gotcha. Yeah. Ted Bundy is also prevalent in Oregon. Uh, since being in prison, he has been married three times and divorced twice. Which, How? Wow. Which baffles me. But, How? you know, some women really like people in prison. It makes no sense. To this day, he is still in the Oregon State Penitentiary, not getting out at all, <laughs> and he's 71 years old today. Mm-hmm. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. In 2011, there was a Lifetime movie, because of course there's a Lifetime movie, it's called yes. Hunt for the I-5 Killer. Uh, oh. Lifetime really just goes for it. That'd be interesting. There's also already a Lifetime movie about um, Petito. Oh, Gabby Petito? Yeah. Yeah, that one's a brutal one. They already made a movie. 
everyone's like, do not think See, I I don't really care for Lifetime movies. I like the documentaries because... I prefer documentaries. Documentaries usually are told by the people involved in the case, Mm -hmm. so it's a little more realistic and... I don't know. I, I, I don't want to say easier on the victims, but it, it definitely brings to light more, takes them more into consideration. Usually, yeah. But yeah, this, <gasps> this was like, Should we write him? You know, it was really funny. <laughs> he likes letters. <laughs> it was really funny because you and I talked about, wouldn't it be funny if we like went to go and say hi? Like he's in Oregon. He's, he's a 70 year old man. What is he doing? He's what? Like. 30 minutes away from, from us? At most. We've driven by there countless times. Yeah, and to think he's there. He's just, just there. Writing letters. Writing <laughs> letters. Oh, I also want to know, in, in the update in the book, it mentions how he keeps a photo by his bed, but it's not of women. It's of himself. Which shows so his he whole can, character. Oh my god. Yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah, well, I gave the book 5 out of 5. I gave it 5 out of 5. Would you read Anne Will again? 110%. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really, really liked her writing style. Like, yeah. it, it was in first person, but obviously we know he didn't write a book about himself. But Yeah, she does extensive research. Um, she follows up when she could. And she really follows with the timeline. Like, it was really easy for yeah. me to... to figure mm-hmm. out where things were and yeah there may have been like a lot of people involved but i mean he had a lot of victims oh and goodness. yeah you and i are both we know true crime documentaries we know yeah. kind of how they're written mm-hmm. so i feel like i'm able to kind of keep track of of those better yeah because i'm kind of used we're, to the style of we're in it we're in it we really are but i highly highly suggest if you guys oh like goodness. true crime definitely read the i5 killer i i think oh, yeah. we liked it i don't want to say better because it was close to home yeah but it definitely about like oh my god yeah and when we say we like it we, we're talking about her writing star and the author like we don't yes. like that any of this happened we don't um, like we just uh we don't Oh, like killing. <laughs> uh, we're just very intrigued by mm-hmm. that entire true crime mm-hmm. community. Oh man, happy spooky season! Yeah, we're really diving into to happy October. too real of <laughs> spooky. Yes, yeah, but I I highly suggest if you like true crime, those kind of like mm-hmm. writing styles. I highly suggest the I Five Killer or really any Anne Rule book. I mean, if there's she has other ones several yeah again her most prominent one the stranger beside me her ted bundy one especially since she knew him i don't think i've read that one in particular it would be interesting for us to read that one too someday down yeah. the line yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah i i think i think Ugh. we're good yeah check in to our instagram for what book we're doing throughout the month of october towards the end of october we'll release our november yes schedule and, and i will casually put a plug in if you like books which hopefully you do if you're listening to this and stickers oh well, melanie just <laughs> just started an etsy yeah i sell some stickers yeah so go buy some stickers, some stickers. they are very cute <laughs> i was gifted one and it is adorable some cats yeah Boots. who doesn't love cats probably a lot of people but you know they're wrong <laughs> Next week is the X Hex. You've already read it, right? I'm pretty sure next week is Do Not Disturb. No, this week is Do Not Disturb. Oh. Yeah, and then. (laughs) Yes, yes. Next week is the X Hex, and I. 
I finished that in a day. I was going to say, I hope, I think it's going to be a pretty fast read, so. I will say I loved it. <laughs> I'm still reading Slewfoot. I, I mean, you'll get my take on it next week when we talk about it, but sneak peek, I loved this. <laughs> yeah, I, oh, <laughs> I, I loved it. So, so yeah. Yeah. Well, Thanks. this has been Baby Got Stacks. Baby Got Stacks. Thank you for coming back. Yeah. <laughs> See you next week. Bye. Bye.